0: Hello everyone, this is Simon with Midweek Devotions, a time for us to be in God's word throughout the week, and to be doing it together too. We've been looking at messianic psalms, psalms about Jesus. And today's psalm is Psalm 91. Uh, Psalm 91 uh, is quoted in the Gospel of Matthew, but it's not something that Jesus quotes about himself, like we've seen in some of the previous psalms. It's actually something that the devil quotes, that the devil seeks to use and manipulate as he, uh, as he t- attempts to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, so let's pray and let's read the psalm and have a think about how this is uh, actually about Jesus and what we actually should be taking from it. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for today. Thank you for another day uh, of life and, and life lived in you. Help us as we think about your word, and as we think about this psalm, uh, really to see uh, your hand in it and to see how it truly does Point to Jesus in the most uh, amazing of ways. We commit this time into your hands and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read the psalm. It goes like this. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra and you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Well, especially if we've grown up, if you've grown up in the church, sometimes we can find ourselves having some pretty unhelpful thoughts, some pretty unhelpful views of God, and what it means uh, for our lives when we trust him. Sometimes we can find ourselves believing that because we're Christians, things won't or things shouldn't go wrong for us, that everything ought to always work out. And sometimes we can even hold this idea so strongly that when things don't go the way that we want, we assume it's because we've somehow been unfaithful uh, to God or, or that God is somehow unhappy with us. All right, maybe we don't always go that far, but we've all been there sort of in that headspace, haven't we? going through some struggle or pain, some circumstance of discomfort, where it's led us to question and to doubt and to wonder where God is in our lives. We kind of know better. We feel guilty about thinking like that. But at the same time, in the midst of our frustration, we can't help but think that the life of following God should be better. And sometimes, when we consider God's own words, what it says about him in the Bible, as it speaks of him as our protector and our defender, as our safety, Well, that feeling just kind of piles on, doesn't it? We're left with questions about what difference it makes to be a Christian, and whether there really is any such benefit, whether it's true, and if it is, whether it's being applied to us. Well, you might want to blame psalms like this one for that kind of feeling, because at one level it really does sound a little bit black and white. That if we walk with God, God will make the bad things go away. But we forget perhaps that what we're reading with psalms are songs. We're reading poetry, emotive and humanized expressions of truth rather than precise and academic ones. Sometimes we make the mistake of mechanistically applying the lines of the psalms rather than considering the person of God and the relationship with God that's behind and underneath and being revealed in it all as it comes together. And so that's what we need to do here today as we read Psalm 91. Because Psalm 91 reflects a relationship. And it's from that relationship that all of these assurances and all of these confidences flow out. Uh, And actually the psalm, as it begins, it points us to that truth. That's exactly what it's saying to us in the first and opening verses. It says that God is the almighty, almighty, that he is a refuge and a fortress. And to dwell in his shelter or live under his hand and under his rule is to trust God. This person of God is someone that we put our faith in. Now there's a a subtle thing going on here that's important for us to see. Because it's tempting to read this introduction and think that it's showing us a kind of causation. That the psalmist and and therefore we, we should trust God because he is powerful and our defender. After all, we don't want to put our trust in someone weak, right? And seeing God in power is certainly something that ought to give us confidence. But notice how here in verse 2, trusting God comes alongside of the recognition of God as refuge and fortress. They, they, these are points, these are ideas that come parallel to one another, not one following the other. For well, the psalmist here, to call God the Almighty and to attribute safety and protection to him is an act of faith. Uh, and, and it's a personalized one. He says, my refuge, my fortress, my God. It's all pointing us to the fact that the Lord is the one whom the psalmist has chosen to turn to over and above other conceivable sources of safety. Now that's an important point to make. It's an important point for us to see. It's important because it sets a tone. The tone of Psalm 91 isn't this thing where, because we see God as powerful, we expect him to destroy and overcome all challenges, as if he's some kind of burly, big muscled security guard that walks in front of us to clear the path wherever we go. The tone here, it's, it's not that aggressive. It's, it's softer. It's the tone of faith. Of knowing God is powerful and able, but trusting, not so much just because of that power, but trusting in who God is and what he's like in the relationship that we have with him. And so throughout this psalm, in verses 3-31, to the the bulk, the middle part of this psalm, where all of those assurances and confidences are made, all these descriptions of God aren't promises so much as they are expressions of faith. They're they're beliefs in God that say that life is in his hand, and that it's true of every aspect of it, whether we're talking about our fears and anxieties, sickness or disease, famine or war or even injustice. But I guess that kind of raises a question, doesn't it? If these aren't promises, so to speak, to keep us safe and look after us in our day to day lives, then what are they? What's the point of them? I mean, certainly they express a view of God that surely he is faithful to his people and those who love him, and that surely that faithfulness means a certain kind of safety and protection. If it's not so simplistic, if it's not so straightforward as that, then, then what is it? Well, that's where it's important uh, for us to recognize that this is a messianic psalm, that its truest meaning is found in Jesus, and how it helps us to see and understand him better. Psalm 91 comes up in Matthew chapter 4, uh, like we mentioned earlier in this uh, podcast. It's right after Jesus is baptized, where Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tested. It's the first thing that he does, right, as he embarks on his public life of ministry, which of course will lead ultimately to his death on the cross. Jesus has already fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. We're told that he was hungry, understandably. Uh, The tempter that is Satan comes to him and tries to get him to turn stones into bread, but Jesus refuses to be drawn into his scheme. Then Satan takes him to the top of the highest point in the temple and he challenges Jesus to throw himself off. And the challenge is this, right? If Jesus is who he says he is, if he really is the son of God, then surely God will miraculously intervene uh, and save him from death. Satan actually quotes here from Psalm 91. He quotes some of the lines from verses 11 to 12. He says, He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus rejects this challenge as well. He says that we should not test God like this. That raises a fascinating thing that is going on here. Satan is misusing the psalm as he applies it to Jesus. He's actually taking it out of context and suggesting to Jesus that God must, uh, must simply save him from harm. Now Jesus rejects Satan here too but he does it in a way that doesn't reject the psalm. He rejects Satan and how he's using the psalm, but he doesn't reject the psalm itself. And it's as if to say that even though Satan is wrong to apply it to Jesus in the way that he does, the psalm does still actually point to him. It's almost comedic, right? That Satan is the one that points to Jesus with the psalm, gets it wrong, and yet that still leads us in the direction that we must look. And so what should we actually see? Well when we consider Jesus in this psalm it's it's the last section actually that is most clear The Lord says beginning in verse 14 Because he loves me I will protect I will answer I will be with him in trouble I will deliver and honor Because he loves me the Lord says I will satisfy him with long life and show him salvation Jesus who loves the Father loves God knows protection and defense and ultimately vindication and life It's their relationship that's on display, as Jesus lives and serves and ministers and as God ensures he is able to fulfill his purpose. And indeed, it's that very relationship, that same love, which sees Jesus experience the fullness of suffering and death, and yet, be safe and defended and redeemed to life again. This psalm points to Jesus, because it reflects the fact that no matter what happens, Jesus loves. And he is faithful to God. And, and God loves, he is faithful to Jesus. It's what Jesus is living out when he rejects Satan's challenge, corrects even, in a sense, his misuse of these verses. And indeed, it is what we see so clearly on the cross. That Jesus is faithful to the will of the Father, dies an intentional and purposeful, a planned death, One that does not avoid the injustice and shame, the suffering and anguish. And that the Father in this is faithful too in raising him to life, vindicating him of all accusation and affirming Jesus' person and place by his side. And the amazing good news of the gospel is this, that as we put our faith in Jesus, as we are wrapped up and bound in what he does, as we share in and are baptized into his death and resurrection, this love and relationship with the Father, it applies to us too. We gain the faithfulness of God through Jesus. And so he does defend us. He will protect us. We will not see our lives destroyed in some great calamity, and, and we can pray and have faith and believe this. Not because we don't see and experience bad things happening, but because we know that whatever happens, we have something far greater waiting. That this psalm is, and that in the gospel there is, a promise to us. That nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're in him. And in our lives too, we experience the same reality of his here. That we can endure and experience all kinds of hardships, those things which we ask, why God, why, And, and yet like Jesus and in Jesus, we can still be safe and defended and redeemed to life again as we trust and are faithful and as we love the Lord our God with all our hearts. What makes you wonder? What's made you question? Perhaps it's something in your past that you have no answers for, no closure about. Maybe it's something looming looming over you right now. Certainly for all of us, there are things in the future, unknowns, that we are yet to face. Psalm 91 speaks to those things. Points us to Jesus and the hope that we have, the ultimate one, the eternal one that we're waiting for. But it reminds us as well that that hope can mean peace for our present. But the great things that we are waiting for are so completely guaranteed by God's powerful and almighty hand that whatever present sufferings we endure, they are genuinely and truly not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us with that new creation that we long for. And so friends, as you read Psalm 91 today, have faith. Believe and trust that God will satisfy. Because Jesus has won it all for us already. And that means that as we do face those things, those hard things in life, we can turn to God. We can trust him. We can choose to put our hope and our security in Him, not in the other things of life and this world, because He is greater than them, and He will not let us down. We have that perfect place waiting for us, it is already won. Let's pray together and give thanks to God for that. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise that in your good gospel plan and will for this world, we have a hope and a future. And one that isn't in question, one that we do not need to doubt, one that is secure. Jesus has died on the cross, been raised to life already. He has loved and been faithful, and you have loved and been faithful to him. Lord, help us to see how richly our future hope the security of it, and the surety of it, how that future hope can overflow into our lives now, even when we're hurting, even when we're suffering, even when we're struggling with doubt and with questions. That our lack of understanding and our lack of knowledge for what those things are doing, for what those things mean, never and cannot take away from the truth That is that Jesus will return and bring in for us the new creation. That it is for us as we put our hope and we put our faith and trust in him. Lord, would you help us to do that today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's it for midweek devotions this week. We'll see you again next time. Bye.